Hello and welcome back. This is Miss Caton and we are reading Stamped Racism, Anti-Racism, and You by Jason Reynolds. Let's get into chapter one. Chapter one, the story of the world's first racist. Before we begin, let's get something straight. This is not a history book. I repeat, this is not a history book at least not like the ones you're used to reading in school. The ones that feel more like a list of dates, there will be some, with an occasional war here and there, a declaration, definitely gotta mention that, a constitution, that too, a court case or two, and of course, the paragraph that's read during Black History Month. Harriet, Rosa, Martin. This isn't that. This isn't a history book, or at least it's not that kind of history book. Instead, what this is, is a book that contains history, a history directly connected to our lives as we live them right this minute. This is a present book, a book about the here and now, a book that hopefully will help us better understand why we are where we are as Americans, specifically as our identity pertains to race. Uh Uh-oh, the R word, which for many of us still feels rated R, or can be matched only with another R word, run. But don't, let's all just take a deep breath. Inhale, hold it, exhale and breathe out. Race. See, not so bad, except for the fact that race has been a strange and persistent poison in American history, which I'm sure you already know. I'm also sure that depending on where you are and where you've grown up, your experiences with it or at least the moment in which you recognize it, may vary. Some may believe race isn't an issue anymore, that it's a thing of the past, old tales of bad times. Others may be certain that race is like an alligator, a dinosaur that never went extinct, but instead evolved. And though hiding in murky swamp waters, that leftover monster is still deadly. And then there are those of you who know that race and more critical, Racism are everywhere. Those of you who see racism regularly robbing people of liberty, whether as a violent stick-up or as a sly pickpocket, the thief known as racism is all around. This book, this not-history history book, this present book, is meant to take you on a race journey from then to now to show why we feel how we feel, why we live how we live, and why this poison whether recognizable or unrecognizable, whether it's a scream or a whisper, just won't go away. This isn't the be-all, end-all. This isn't the whole meal. It's more like an appetizer, something in preparation for the feast to come, something to get you excited about choosing your seat, the right seat at the table. Oh, and there are three words I want you to keep in mind, three words to describe the people we'll be exploring. Segregationists, assimilationists, anti-racists. There are serious definitions to these things, but I'm going to give you mine. Segregationists are haters, like real haters, people who hate you for not being like them. Assimilationists are people who like you, but only with quotation marks, like like you, meaning they like you because you're like them. And then there are anti-racists. 
They love you because you're like you. But it's important to note, life can rarely be wrapped into single word descriptions. It isn't neat and perfectly shaped. So sometimes, over the course of a lifetime, and even over the course of a day, people can take on and act out ideas represented by more than one of these three identities. Can be both and. Just keep that in mind as we explore these folks. And actually, these aren't just the words we'll be using to describe the people in this book. They're also the words we'll be using to describe you and me, all of us. So, where do we start? We might as well just jump in and begin with the world's first racist. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how could anyone know who the world's first racist was? Or you're thinking, yeah, tell us so we can find out where he lives. Well, he's dead. Been dead for 600 years, thankfully. And before I tell you about him, I have to give you a little context. Europe. That's where we are, where he was. As I'm sure you've learned by now, the Europeans, Italians, Portuguese, Spanish, Dutch, French, British, were conquering everyone. Because if there's one thing all history books do say, it's that Europeans conquered the majority of the world. The year is 1415, and Prince Henry, there's always a Prince Henry, convinced his father, King John of Portugal, to basically pull a caper and capture the main Muslim trading depot on the northeastern tip of Morocco. Why? Simple. Prince Henry was jealous. The Muslims had riches, and if Prince Henry could get the Muslims out of the way, then those riches and resources could be easily accessed. Stolen. A jack move. A robbery. Plain and simple. The take? A bountiful, bountiful supply of gold. And Africans. That's right. The Portuguese were capturing Moorish people who would become prisoners of war in a war the Moors hadn't planned on fighting, but had to, to survive. And by prisoners, I mean property. Human property. But neither Prince Henry nor King John of Portugal was given the title world's first racist. Because the truth is, capturing people wasn't an unusual thing back then. Just a fact of life. That illustrious moniker would go to a man named neither Henry nor John, but something way more awesome, who did something not awesome at all. Gomez Inez de Zarara. Zarara, which sounds like a cheerleader chant, did just that. Cheerleaded? Cheerled? Whatever. He was a cheerleader. Kind of. Not the kind who roots for a team and punts up a crowd, but he was a man who made sure the team he played for was represented and heralded as great. He made sure Prince Henry was looked at as a brilliant quarterback, making ingenious plays, and that every touchdown was the mark of a superior player. How did Zarara do this? Through literature, storytelling. He wrote this story, a biography of the life and slave trading of Prince Henry. Zarara was an obedient commander in Prince Henry's military order of Christ and would eventually complete his book, which would become the first defense of African slave trading. It was called The Chronicle of the Discovery and Conquest of Guinea. In it, Zarara bragged about the Portuguese being early in bringing enslaved Africans 
from the Western Sahara Cape and spoke about owning humans as if they were exclusive pairs of sneakers. Again, this was common, but he upped the brag by also explaining what made Portugal different from their European neighbors in terms of slave trading. The Portuguese now saw enslaving people as missionary work, a mission from God to help civilize and Christianize the African quote-unquote savages. At least that's what Zarara claimed. And the reason this was a one-up on his competitors, the Spanish and Italians, was because they were still enslaving Eastern Europeans, as in white people, not called white people back then. Zarara's ace, his trick shot, was that the Portuguese had enslaved Africans, of all shades, by the way, supposedly for the purpose of saving their wretched souls. Zarara made Prince Henry out to be some kind of youth minister, canvassing the street, doing community work, when what Prince Henry really was, was more of a gangster, more of a shakedown man, a kidnapper getting a commission for bringing the king captives. Prince Henry's cut, like a finder's fee, 185 slaves, equaling money, money, money. Though it was always framed as a noble cause, thanks to Zarara, who was also paid for his pin. Seems like Zarara was just a liar, right? A fiction writer. So what makes him the world's first racist? Well, Zarara was the first person to write about and defend Black human ownership. And this single document began the recorded history of anti-Black racist ideas. You know how the kings are always attached to where they rule? Like King John of Portugal. Well, if Gomez Inez de Zarara was the king of anything, which he wasn't, he would have been King Gomez of racism. Zarara's book, The Chronicle of the Discovery and Conquest of Guinea, was a hit. And you know what hits do? They spread. Like a pop song that everyone claims to hate, but everyone knows the words to. And then suddenly, no one hates the song anymore. And instead, it becomes an anthem. Zarara's book became an anthem, a song sung all across Europe as the primary source of knowledge on unknown Africa and African peoples for the original slave traders and enslavers in Spain, Holland, France, and England. Zarara depicted Africans as savage animals that needed taming. This depiction over time would even begin to convince some African people that they were inferior, like Al-Hassan ibn Muhammad al-Wazan al-Fasi, a well-educated Moroccan who was on a diplomatic journey along the Mediterranean Sea when he was captured and enslaved. He was eventually freed by Pope Leo X, who converted him to Christianity, renamed him Johannes Leo, he later became known as Leo Africanus, or Leo the African, and possibly commissioned him to write a survey of Africa. And in that survey, Africanus echoed Zarara's sentiments of Africans, his own people. He said they were hypersexual savages, making him the first known African racist. 
when I was growing up, we called this drinking the Kool-Aid or selling out. Either way, Zarara's documentation of the racist idea that Africans needed slavery in order to be fed and taught Jesus, and that it was all ordained by God, began to seep in and stick to the European cultural psyche. And a few hundred years later, this idea would eventually reach America.